Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, what's up, Block Church? It is so good to be in the house with you all today. I'd like to welcome everyone at all locations, including our online location. My name is Alvin Uman. I am on the parking and security team here at our church. I want to take a moment just to honor our lead pastors, Pastor Joey and Pastor Lauren. The greatest compliment that anyone can give anyone is trust. And the way they trust me to be able to share the gospel, I don't take that for granted. But this month is No Series November. And I fully understand that the goal of this month is for individual preachers to come forward and just speak on what the Lord uh, has placed on their heart for that given week with no theme or anything. But Holy's going to do what Holy's got to do. Because the Holy Spirit created his own theme for us this week, it looks like. Because the first week, Pastor Joey preached on the understanding of the times and the victory that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Pastor Derek, last week, did a powerful sermon on the authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. And today, what I want to speak on is overcoming in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So I'm going to read from the book of Revelation. Yes, we're going there today. Chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. All right. Revelations 12, 7 to 12. This is one of those portions of scripture that I used to read growing up and so confused as to what does any of this have to do with Jesus. But what we're about to read is so powerful, and I know that we're going to give God glory. But let's read. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, for they had lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent that is called the devil or Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10. And then I heard this loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and because they have loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Everyone say short. By 1944, if we can put up that photo, World War II had already captured millions upon millions dead. And Hitler was looking at the war itself and he was thinking there might be some type of a pathway for him to win. But even though he was advancing, he had begun to lose or lose grip on all sides. And then come the United States 
with the Axis powers, I'm sorry, the Allied powers that come forward into Normandy. And here we see that there's 1.1 million men, tons and tons and tons of military equipment that's moving in to help liberate France. And ultimately, this is somewhat what leads to the ends of the, of the Nazi Reich. But so many people began this all-out assault against Hitler in the heart of Europe. And everyone was able to clearly see that this war was over, that the Allied powers in the United States were going to come bulldoze through and bring victory to the world. But still, Hitler and his men and his armies continued to mobilize forward, even though they were outnumbered, even though they didn't have nearly the amount of tanks, ammunition, production power, even the financial ability was not even comparable. But still, Hitler moves forward with this assault only because he realized that his time was short and he was mad. Ultimately, what ends up happening is they continue this assault and they run out of gas. But the book of Revelation and what we just read is an apocalyptic book that paints a picture for us what the end of this world looks like, what the end of this age looks like. And I remember reading this book growing up thinking, what is the point of all of the characters that are here? We didn't read about it, but in the same exact chapter, there's a pregnant lady that's just there and is about to give birth. And the dragon is right in front of the pregnant lady's legs about to devour whatever it gives birth to. And so, you know, you're going from the Psalms, which is saying from whence help, like where my help comes from, you know, the maker of the heaven and the earth. And then you jump over to Revelation and it's this dragon, a pregnant lady. And you're like, God, what's, what's the point of all this? But what we see is Revelation is this beautiful illustration, not of the power of darkness, but of the victory that's found in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful portion of scripture because what you and I are struggling with or dealing with in our lives is the powers of darkness at work within us, around us. We're seeing the chaos of the world that we live in. We're seeing persecution of the saints. We're seeing this battle for our minds. We're seeing even in our own lives the struggle that we're going through how it seems so unfair, and God, we're a child of you. How is it that we're going through so much suffering? And we credit that to the devil by saying, oh, he's so powerful. He's so much stronger. He's so much bigger, and he's winning in our lives. Every single one of the people under my voice are able to literally think of their own situation and credit it to the strength and power of the enemy. But... That is not what scripture wants us to do. Because this all-out assault that we experience as children of God is not because he is this powerful foe, but because he is a defeated enemy the moment Jesus died on the cross. And the moment we truly begin to live our lives and understand that and move with a mobilization of victory in Jesus Christ, we become overcomers. We don't become overcome, which is how many of us, myself included, operate. But we operate as overcomers in Jesus Christ. One beautiful reality is that the enemy can only come for the battle of your mind, the battle of your body, 
once he's realized he's lost the battle of your soul. You and I are people that are in this body of Christ. We're people that are children of God. And if you're not, you'll have an opportunity to become part of this family today. But as people that are in the body of Christ, we're called to be overcomers. But still, we feel as though that we're not overcomers because we feel like we're taken hostage by the enemy. We feel as though that we've got these chains on us. We feel as though that we've got these shackles that are gripping us, holding us, and putting weights on us that stop us from living in the full fulfillment of Jesus Christ and what he has for us and the power that he has for us. I want to share two descriptors of the enemy that we just read about. He was first described as this deceiver. That's what he was, this deceiver. That's the main tactic that he uses. To deceive is to misrepresent the truth. It's not a full-out lie, but it's a twisting of words. It's a deceiving that happens. The main thing that happens to you and I, actually, the beginning of Genesis, when the fall of man happened, it was the enemy that was going up to Eve and saying, did God really say that? Did he really say that you could not eat of that? It was a deception. It was a twisting of a reality of what God intended for you and I. Ultimately, what this leads for us is our lives are filled with so many smalls. Did God really? So many. Think about it. Any regret that you carry today that has already been defeated on the cross, but any regret that you might have, you're looking at and you're thinking of, and it started off with a really, really small, did God really? Did he really? Which led into a small compromise that ended up having big consequences that you and I struggle and deal with today. Think about it. We think, oh, did God really say that we can't be with that person? Did God really say that we can't be friends with that group? Did God really say that I can't stay a minute longer here? Did God really say that I couldn't just try that? These small compromises of did God really has been the strategy that the enemy has used for thousands upon thousands of years. Nothing has changed. That's why he's called the great deceiver. And it's the first part of what causes us to lose this powerlessness or this power that we have in Christ. It causes us to be powerless because we're first operating in the very thing that the enemy is described as, as deception. But then we see that there's something else that's described by him. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. To accuse means to point back and say, well, look, he did that. She did that. So in other words, there's this enemy that manipulates the things in our lives to cause these small compromises or deceives us. And then once he leads us into the deception, when we act out on that deception, he then goes ahead and accuses or blames us for the very thing that he led us to do. That is what the enemy's role in our life is. And it causes us 
to feel overcome. It takes so much power. It causes us to live in guilt, causes us to live in shame, and it causes us to feel like we have these chains, like we're taken hostage, like we're defeated, that there's no way we can, we can shake it off. All of these lead to these feelings uh, of, of us being held hostage, like we have chains on us because of the sin that we're living in, because of the circumstances that we've probably never signed up for, because of our own insecurities and anxiousness. All of these make us feel shackled. It makes us feel overcome. It makes us feel pursued by someone that we feel as though is more powerful than us. And that is another deception of the enemy. Because the only reason why we feel these shackles and we feel as though we're taking hostage is not because the enemy is powerful. Again, I tell you, it's because he is defeated already and he's mad. That's all it is. He is defeated. But when we feel overcome, when we feel like we've been pursued by this stronger force of the enemy, it has such a strong grip on our lives where now automatically we start feeling as though, oh, it's God. Like, God, why did you do this to me? The way that we relate and understand and view God completely changes. And don't call me a liar. I know you guys are in agreement with this today. We blame God. God, why is it that you allowed me to have illness in my body? Why is it that you didn't protect my marriage? Why did you take my child away from me? Why did you cause me to be a single parent? God, why didn't you protect me from abuse? Why didn't you give me that promotion? God, God, why, why, why did you do this to me? When in reality, you've just been overcome and pursued. But Jesus wants you to live in the victory of him. He wants you to operate in the authority that's in him. He wants you to be someone that is an overcomer in Jesus Christ. And that's what the word of God says in verse 11, that they have overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and because they love not their own life unto death. The Greek word overcome and every time I bring up Greek, somebody comes up to me after service and says, well, you pronounced that wrong. <laughs> I appreciate that because it makes me better. But still, the Greek word overcome comes from the keo, which means to prevail. So when something is illegitimately holding you hostage, you have a responsibility to prevail over that. You have a responsibility to capture the higher ground and take back control of what you were overcome in. That is the responsibility of you and I. So if it's an addiction, if it's a poor self-esteem, if it's loneliness, if it's failure, if it's sadness, if it's anger, if it's pride, you must be an overcomer. It is legally the benefit that you have in Jesus Christ. Like you must, it's not an if and or, it's you must be an overcomer. Because Jesus, again, legally has already granted you that benefit the moment you said, I am making you Lord of my life. On November 2nd, I flew to India for what became one of the most life-changing times of ministry in my life. Uh, I just flew back yesterday um, and I still got the dirt on my shoes 
And I was just so blessed to be a part of everything that the Lord is doing on the other side of the world. But I was invited by an organization that trains up pastors in persecuted parts of India and pushes them out into these rural villages where people are unreached. Uh, it was, you know, we ended up meeting in this city called Nagpur, which is a central point. It's the zero mile dead center of all of India. And it's slightly more tolerant of Christians. So thousands of young men and women came across all of India, traveling anywhere from 15 to 50 hours on a train to be a part of this. So I don't want to hear any complaints about parking here. All locations, take the train, all right? Septa's good to us. But if you ever wondered why the invite cards on your seat are so important, it's because when you take that card and give it to someone else, you're actually secretly on assignment for the kingdom. Because of the people that came, many of them brought their unbelieving friends, family, cousins, and relatives just to be a part of this conference that they had no clue what it was going to be about. Hey, one week, just come. The result, if you look at the screen, hundreds and hundreds of people who rejected the Hindu gods that they've ever known their entire lives to say yes to Jesus. And such a decision is by no means easy. It's costly, as I'll talk about today. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It's by no means easy. Take, for example, my friend, the third from the left in the next photo, who was the only one in his family to leave Hinduism and come to Christ. He became rejected by his family. His community hates him. And now he's a Bible student doing his bachelor's in theology. And I asked him, do you have any regrets? And he's, no. Like the question was offensive to him. No regrets at all. Or take my other friend here, Pastor Santosh, who was a devout Christian. He was a devout Hindu. And growing up, for people who wouldn't believe in what he believed, he would beat them and just leave them for dead on the side of the road until someone one day comes up to him, a Christian, and says to him, your life is very important to Jesus. And he thinks about that and thinks about his own self-worth. And he's like, who is this Jesus? And why is he so inclined into my life? Like, what is me to him? Who am I to him? And he began this journey of trying to find out who this Jesus was. And today, here's this man that's planting hundreds of house churches. <laughs> dealing with persecution so severe. And it's only because he has like an iconic last name that they haven't killed him. But he's getting beat left and right. And if anybody here has a comment about my Jerusalem 2000s, <laughs> meet me outside after service. But I say this because what is the possible point of serving someone that comes with a life that's guaranteed to produce suffering, guaranteed to produce heartache and produce rejection on this earth? Who would willingly sign up for this? Why are people around this world rejecting and leaving everything to say yes to Jesus? And the reason is because even though you and I understand the legal blessings and benefits that we have in Jesus Christ, 
There are people in the world that see this beyond just a legal blessing. There are people that see that Jesus is this real and dynamic force that gives them the strength to overcome today and live with such intense purpose that they've never experienced before. So even though you and I know these legal blessings that we have in Christ, we fail to put it into practice. And so in other words, you have this legal status that's not equating to the reality that you're living in. For example, you can be legally married but not have a happy relationship, right? You can legally have a license to practice law, but you might not have a firm to work in. In other words, the the status that you possess on paper, it only has any type of value if you're living in the fulfillment of what it is. Like it needs to be something that is purposely activated where other people can take and eat the fruit of. And so all these people that you saw that are dealing with persecution, that are dealing with just no family anymore at all, beatings and some being left for dead, all of this is because they understand the value of Jesus beyond just words that are written in ink. It is alive and active and they're so proud of that. So I'm going to quickly teach you on how you and I can shift from being this legal Christian to an overcomer in Christ. And I hope that all of us would be challenged, but I want to live in that one verse, verse 11. And they have overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their own lives unto death. A very important verse, but it requires that you and I relate to Jesus differently. How you and I relate to Jesus is important if you want to be an overcomer. For example, if I go up to my mailman and say, I need you to do my taxes for me, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to do it. Mine might, not yours. (laughs) Because my dad's my accountant and he gives me my mail too. (laughs) But... In the same way, I can't go up to my accountant. I mean, y'all can't go up to your accountant and ask for your mail. In other words, how you relate to someone is important because if you relate to them properly, they will relate back to you in the way that you expect. And so what Jesus requires of us is to understand how we relate to him, how he wants to be related to And right now, we feel as though, okay, Jesus, I have come to church on Sunday, and I've prayed, and I asked you to go ahead and give me a wife, or to give me this job, or give me this, or that, or whatever it might be. We're asking God for all these things. We think that we're doing all the right things, and we think that we're relating to him properly, but that's not how he requires to be related to. That's not what he wants from a child of God. He wants something completely different and we're relating to Jesus incorrectly and this is leading us to experience only a fraction of the power that we have access to as a child of God. That's what I want to speak into today because Jesus desires for us to live a life that is active in our faith where if you have anything that you're looking to overcome and for many of us we're looking and asking and seeking Jesus for strength to overcome many different things 
I can't even begin to understand all that you're struggling with. It could be more than one, five, 10, 20 things. God, I need you to strengthen me to overcome this. And Jesus, 100% has the power and strength to give you the, the, the ability to overcome it. But it requires a level of faith. What do I mean? Joshua chapter three. There we see that the Lord has brought the Israelites under new leadership and they're about to enter into the promised land. And they're in front of a body of water, the Jordan River. And the previous generation had Moses as their leader. And all they had to do was just watch Moses lift up the staff and the water would split. And the people were wondering, does Joshua even have that type of an anointing that we heard about in the previous leadership? And the Lord says, I'm going to display my glory in the life of Joshua, but not in the way that you expect. And God tells Joshua, tell the priest to take their feet, dip it into the water, and the moment their feet get wet, the waters will part. That's exactly what happens. In other words, the Lord wants to do something new. He wants to do something different from what you and I would expect. But it requires us to be active in our faith. It requires us to get our feet wet. It requires us to be uncomfortable in many regards. Because the moment that we do, Jesus is 100% willing to let us walk in freedom. But it requires that we move in faith. So we might be coming to church every single Sunday praying, God, I just need you to take away my addiction. I need you to heal my marriage. Lord, restore my health. And I'm not saying that he won't do this. He actually, we have testimonies in this church, many of this exact thing happening. But he will not do it unless we're operating and moving in a faith. And the verse that we just read, how to overcome, is basically the three hallmarks of how we mobilize our faith to overcome in Jesus Christ. And I want to quickly go through that. How do we overcome? Point one, a word says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Something that's very important that I'll never ever see in my life the same way. Every one of us here, we're all in agreement in the power of the blood. No one here thinks that the power of the blood is weak or we don't think anything negative of it. We believe that the cross was this defining moment that had defeated death. But the problem is, if I were to go up to many of us, and say, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. You're not going to drop to the ground in tears. And that's okay. But what I mean is that we don't really understand the magnitude of what that means. You know, we might equate Jesus' death on the cross and the power of the blood, or just the blood of Jesus, similar to the story of Noah's Ark. We might view it as, oh, that is a powerful story that happened thousands of years ago, but it doesn't relate to me today. It does, in theory, gives me access to Jesus in eternity, but it doesn't have the same. It doesn't relate to us in the way that it should. When in reality, this is single-handedly the biggest explanation point in all of humanity, past, present, and future. This perfect, sinless God came down to earth as a man to die on the cross for you and I, knowing that his pure blood would be the 
best and only remedy for all of sin to say, now I can be in relationship with you. There is no other religion that can claim this. Buddha cannot do this. Krishna cannot do this. Muhammad cannot claim this. No religion on earth can make the sacrifice that starts with God's ascension to earth or descension to earth to die for you and I to give us access to this power. It's only Jesus. If there's one thing that has become entirely clear for me during this trip, this last month, is that there's power in the blood of Jesus. But not historical power. Power right here and right now. I lost count of the amount of men and women and children that came up to my team for prayer with struggles that seemed so impossible to solve. Addiction, demonic oppression, illness and sickness. We would look at each other and be like, what do we do? None of us are prepared or equipped for this. And then we would just say, the blood of Jesus, just plead the blood of Jesus. And we would lay hands and just say, in the name of Jesus, we plead the blood of Jesus over you. And immediately people will become healed. People will become restored. Things that we could have never imagined. That is the power of the blood today. There was a man that came forward with severe pain in his, in his spine and his abdomen. And then I was like, okay, let's do the same. Let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. The blood of Jesus. And within moments, this man is standing upright, completely healed with no pain. And I was thinking, and I was wondering, why is it that this is working here? Like, why is this supposed to happen everywhere? And the understanding that I was able to quickly gather is that they didn't believe in the power of a blood that was 2,000 years old. They weren't believing in the historical blood of Jesus. When I said that the blood of Jesus has power, they weren't thinking like it was a history book. They were believing it that it was right then, right now, today, in that moment, in their illness, in their sickness, in their oppression, in what they were seeking to overcome. It was that blood that had power. You overcome when you believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. Not as just your ticket to eternity, because that is what it is. But beyond that, it is this power and the source of your deliverance today. My second point is we overcome by the word of our testimony. Pastor Joey, we're going to leave, we're going to lose some people today. Because this is a very hard hitting and deep point that I have to share. And it's necessary to overcome. We overcome by the word of our testimony, this gospel. This gospel which causes us to walk in a freedom that we have today. The problem is we have this reality where we say that we're Christians, but we don't walk and act with such an authority. In other words, if you want to overcome, you cannot be a mute Christian. It is impossible to be someone that says, Lord, I need your strength to overcome, but we're embarrassed to be associated with the man that can help us to overcome. If you and I are afraid to associate with Christ, how do you imagine that he'll lead you to overcome? 
Jesus cannot overcome whatever it is that we deeply desire for him to overcome if we're embarrassed to be associated with him. It's not enough for us to just go up to people and say, God bless you when they sneeze. It's not enough for us to be able to say, oh, <laughs> I got to talk about it. It's not enough for us to put saved by grace in our bio because we don't want Jesus to offend anybody if we're put it. I was speaking to myself right there, especially. We need to be people that are mobilizing the gospel beyond this building. Because it is the word of the testimony that leads us to overcome. It's not just the blood of the lamb. That's one part of it. And the word of our testimony. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 that anybody who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. But anyone who rejects me, I'll reject before the Father as well. There's a pastor that I met. His name is Pastor Shankar. Powerful story that I could not even imagine was real. But Shankar is a pastor in a highly, highly persecuted region of India. And he boldly declares the gospel there to the point where he was so successful. And the Lord has given him such a grace that the Hindu village leaders there got pissed. So many of the community has been running to Jesus and leaving behind the foreign gods that have been there historically for thousands of years. One day there was a mob leader, someone who was in charge of the Hindu faction that's there, that comes forward to the church, waiting outside the building with hundreds of people armed with swords to kill the pastor of that church. And they're calling out for the pastor, this man saying, come out, come out, come out. But the beautiful thing about this church was that every single member was part of the parking and security team. Because as they came out, they stood in front of the pastor, hundreds of people. And they said that if you want to kill him, you have to kill us all. And the leader of the faction did not want to massacre an entire people group right then and there. And so he says, if we ever find your pastor walking into this building alone, we will break his legs and kill him. Then this man drives off. The faction leader drives off in his motorcycle, immediately is met with an accident that puts him in the hospital. His legs are broken. And an infection begins to form on the leg. And he's sent home. And this pastor decides to go over to his house. Go over to his house and pray for him. And immediately the leg was healed. The persecutor's leg was healed. And the man who was persecuting him released a statement saying no one should come against this pastor or anyone in the church. When you publicly declare your association with Jesus Christ, overcoming becomes a way of life. Jesus doesn't just show up. He shows out. He moves in incredible ways beyond anything you could ever imagine. He exceeds your wildest dreams. When we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.